Today, with the development of AI, um, I think we have greater opportunities than ever to simplifying things. I like the Bill Gates expression or Bill Gates quote when he says, uh, I choose a lazy person to do a hard job because a lazy person will find an easy way to do it. Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Olsen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings through video messaging. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is Daniel Johansson. I'm CEO at Wint and you are listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Daniel. Thank you. Excited to be here. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. It's a great day and it's even better now when I'm sitting here with you. So first thing first, always, can you tell the listeners what does your company, Vint, do? Do the elevator pitch. Of course, the elevator pitch. Yeah, yeah. Wind provides the most automated full-service accounting solution on the market for companies that want to focus on their growth instead of their economic administration. Thanks to Wind, uh, thousands of entrepreneurs can spend more time on their passion, which makes it easier and most of all more fun to run a business. And if we shift the spotlight on you as a person then, who is Daniel? When I was young, um, as my others, I was into sports and dreaming of being a pro, but I got injured and needed to rethink what I was going to do with my life. So I slipped into finance and went to study to become an accountant and started working for one of the big four accounting firms directly after school. I ended up having an exciting journey to end up to become a public, public authorized uh, accountant. But uh, in becoming that, uh, there and then I felt that I was done with accounting. Uh, I loved meeting entrepreneurs each and every day, but I felt too much of the job was to just do documentation and to focusing on things that happened in the past. When we talked to the clients, we often talked about things that happened eight or nine months ago when I was more interested in talking in the business going forward. So I felt a bit done with auditing at that time. And I was then I was headhunted to a fashion company as a CFO, uh, a company with fresh new ownership and with big plans uh, and a strong growth agenda. So I, I, I joined that company, but uh, I quickly learned that the growth wasn't coming. And instead, I found myself in a big office, turning the same figures over and over, month after month. So that's what was not really the thing for me either. But uh, during this time, Wint was founded by a couple of former colleagues of, of mine at the accounting firm. And they started to, to talk to me and trying to convince me to join them. But the thing was that I had just bought my, my first house. I had my first child. And the idea of going down substantially in salary and joining a startup journey wasn't the, the best idea at the time, I felt. 
But during this period, uh, I read Steve Jobs' autobiography. I don't know, have you read that book, Joseph? Yeah. Yeah, I, I got caught up in the part of the book where, where Steve was nagging on Pepsi's John Scully about uh, joining Apple. And remember, this is in the 80s, so Apple wasn't what it is today. And John describes in the book, he describes the difficulty in choosing between something safe and secure and something new and exciting. And I could really relate to that feeling, even though it's in maybe another level, but I could really relate to the feeling. And Steve finally got tired of John and his inability to to make a a decision. So uh, he said to John, you have one choice. Either you spend the rest of your life selling carbonated water, uh, or you can come and join me and we'll change the world together. So John chose to join Apple, and therefore, for the same reasons, I choose to join Wint. I I want to be able to tell the story of Wint and how we changed the accounting industry, and that's a much better story than me telling the story about me sitting in a big office and turning papers over over and over. Thank you for sharing. And uh, now it's time for five quick ones. And the drill here is that you only have a few seconds. I will say a word and you need to say first thoughts around that word. Understand? Yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. Sauce. Great business model, uh, but it's becoming a buzzword that may be a bit overexploited. Digitalization. Old news to me, If uh, to be digital today is, is a given. AI. Endless possibilities. Video messaging. Great way to stand out. And last word, summer. Finally, it's soon here. I'm a big fan of, fan of summer, so I'm looking forward to going to the beach and having an ice cream. Nice. Thank you for the input here. And we are moving on and we are moving into business development. So let's talk some KPIs. Can you share, Daniel, which top KPIs on a company level are the most important for you? And why have you chosen them? As a former accountant, I just love my KPIs. I, I, li- I like to dive deep into all of the figures and see the patterns and analyze their impact. But I, I have actually narrowed it down to one because uh, I think we have one at Wind that is the most important. And I think that's the central KPI for us. And the one is the NPS, the Net Promoter Score. Because we at Wind, we strive to have lifetime customers. We want them to be customers as long as they choose to run their businesses. Therefore, it's extremely important for us to keeping them happy. I also learned that uh, if we maintain our high customer satisfaction, more new customers will come via referrals and, and thereby accelerate growth significantly. Uh, high NPS also equals low churn. Uh, happy employees mean happy customers. High automation contributes to satisfied customers and so on and so on. So I have learned that if I look at the NPS, the Net Promoter Score, most other KPIs are almost always at a high level if the KPI is on a high level. And if I then want to take this one layer deeper and also going for a product angle of the KPI field, what would you say are your North Star metric or key product KPI that is a pure indicator for you to uh, the NPS? 
the, we have a, a KPI that's not very common, but it's a measurement on how many interactions we have with our customers, how much support uh, they need and how long the conversations get. And that's the main, that's the main one for us. We can see that when the conversations are shorter and then the interactions are, the key for us is to have as, when we have less interaction with the customers, that usually means they, that they are happy. Because that means that we have built a good user experience. That means that we have good, built a good product where you knew what to do at, at each time. So that's the key one. Good. Then we have the MPS and we have the product angle. And then we move on to go to market. And I want to hear your best practices here, Daniel. The most important thing to us, I have really have two best practices. And, and the number one is to narrow your target group down. You have to start with doing your due diligence and analyze your market and your potential target group of customers. And this and in this, it's very important to narrow it down as much as you can. Because when you are a business-to-business -business company, your product will probably be a great fit for some, but not for everyone. So I recommend that you strive to, to acquire market share piece by piece and develop your product over time. So try to narrow your target group down. And when you say narrow, are you talking about five parameters, eight parameters, 15 parameters? If you just look at your, how, how narrow have you? Yeah, pretty narrow. It depends on on the market itself and how big it is and how many customers it is and so on. So for us, it's really which industries our customers work in. So it it depends on which market you have, but try to narrow it down as as, as narrow as you can because it's much easier to create a persona of your customers and it's much easier to to just find out what your customer needs. Good. So that's one best practice number one, and you have one more. Yeah, number two is to build your brand early on, almost directly, because I believe that a common mistake is to early on only focus on the product and its functions and features. But there are several aspects of why you should put resources into building your brand directly from the start, and it can be your positioning. You will have competitors. Or there will be competitors that are trying to copy you and your product. And your brand and what people associate it with will be an important part on how your product stands out to your competitors. A product with a strong brand is much more harder to copy than just a product. And one other thing is that today people do not buy products based only on functions, but also on what the brand signals to them. It could be, for example, concerning such things as quality, innovation, but also more superficial things like being cool or coolness. And it's rare to, to see a product that will sell itself. So again, to create a strong brand is key in, ex, in, ex, in achieving an effective and scalable go-to-market strategy. A strong brand will always accelerate growth. So your best practices is number one, dare to be narrow with the ICP. And number two, don't just focus on the product, also focus early on the brand. And then with these two, you will have a really good foundation according to you with the go-to-market. Exactly. 
Good. And then <laughs> we look backwards then. I, I, you said that you hate that. But for now with me, a few times you need to do that. Because if you look back, what common mistakes do you see you did yourself with your go-to-market strategy earlier? Well, you, you learn from your mistakes. So, so our mistakes, biggest mistake in the past was that we didn't narrow our target group down. We tried to address a wide range of potential customers and we, we didn't get any traction. So that was uh, a big lesson for us. So everything once again come down to a narrow ICP then. Yeah, know your customer. How long did it take for you that you realized, oh shit, we need to do something here? And uh, that's question, follow on question number one. And follow on question number two is how long did it actually do to change and find the right narrowness? Uh, the change was quicker than the, the realization because we, we realized that we were spending, it took maybe one or two years, and we realized we were spending all of our time addressing a few customers, a few customers that wasn't right for us. They they had, the fit was extremely bad and we laid many resources and how many times it was just a dead end. We didn't have the, the fit and we didn't have the resources to, to address those type of customers. So we eventually, just made the decision to to say goodbye to all the customers that weren't a fit for us. And in doing so, it was much easier to, to find out who was the good fit. Okay, so you actually uh, did, did a negative angle here and didn't look like who are our best. You, you, okay, so you looked at basically what drains money and time, cut them away. Yeah, we started in, the, in that end, exactly. Okay, we need to talk some hardcore cold outreach and the sales process. I'm curious to hear, Daniel, what would you say is the best way to do an outreach to you? If I were a salesperson now, want to get your attention. What is the channels or way you prefer to be contacted? Well, me personally, I prefer LinkedIn. I think that's a good channel to contact me. Uh, but in in doing cold outreach to me, it's important that you are prepared, and it's important that you know what I value in order to get my attention. And uh, you need to be personal. I I don't respond well to templates being thrown thrown out there because you need to know me and what I value. You need to know your customer. If you do that, then you're welcome. Obviously, you're here. So obviously, I <laughs> I managed with my outreach to you. And it was LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, yeah, if I remember. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so LinkedIn, be prepared and know uh, your values and uh, things that can be relevant for you. And not a template. Personalization. So you feel that it's not a robot. Exactly. Exactly. If we then continue to another topic mistakes and we are talking about worst mistakes now that you have ever made in business that you hopefully have behind you so you are not emotionally connected to them <laughs> like when you were in it but what would you say is something that i really should learn from your biggest mistake my worst mistakes i made many mistakes uh... I usually say that the thing you learn from running a startup or a scale-up business is what not to do. Uh, 
so I think, but I think most of I can tell you a situation. And mo- most of the things, worst mistakes I made, are those times I try to do many projects at once. Uh, when I do many projects at once, I, it usually contributes to none of the projects really reaching their full potential. When when you have to achieve growth, for for example, and you're doing trying to do ten projects of growth in the same time, I have realized that doing a few projects and doing them to 100% is the best way. And I have a really good example of that. One of those times, I tried to do ten things at the same time. And we had one specific project that was really quite stagnant. But what I did is that I handed it over to one of our younger talents who could focus on the project to 100%. And in a couple of months, it just exploded. And today, that project is key to over 30% of our our current growth. One of my biggest lessons is to do fewer things and do the things you do to 100%. Yeah, that is super powerful. So I think we put period there then and uh, entering a topic of your choice. And the only framework here, Daniel, is that you need to be super nerdy and passionate about the thing you will choose to talk about now for a few minutes. So the floor is yours. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm very passionate about simplifying things. I'm one of those persons that just hate doing things that take time and that I feel could and maybe most of all should be done faster and easier. And that's maybe a natural part of my job, but I'm exactly the same in private. If something something takes too long and I feel inefficient doing it, I get tired real quickly. Uh, I like the Bill Gates expression or Bill Gates quote when he says, uh, I choose a lazy person to do a hard job because a lazy person will find an easy way to do it. Uh, I can't find myself very much in that quote, but I probably wouldn't define myself as lazy, but I like the actual, actual meaning of the quote. And I have a good example of this in my previous career as an accountant. Back then, we were talking 10, 15 years ago, a large part of the job was taking manual documents uh, and uh, you what you did was you, that you took manual documents and you had to take them to the printer to scan them and then since you always were at the client's offices you needed to to email them to yourself and to put in your email address on some slow keypad on the printer and there was always a line to the printer and once you're done all of that and got the email, you had to download the document and to put it into the accounting software on the right place. And this just took several hours uh, each and every week. And for me, I just felt so inefficient. I felt so bad in order. I, I couldn't believe I had to do that each and every day. So what I did is that I took matters into my own hands and went out and bought a hand scanner uh, for my own money. And uh, this hand scanner, the thing was that uh, you could connect the hand scanner directly to the accounting software. And therefore, I could sit uh, where I was and just scan the document directly into the accounting software. I didn't need to go to the printers at all. And I just saved several hours uh, each and every week. But for me, it's not mainly the 
the fact that I was uh, saving hours, the, the, the thing is that feeling, that feeling when you are efficient, I just love that feeling. I love to simplify things and to do things where I feel efficient, uh, where I feel I have done all I can and I was efficient. So I'm today with the development of AI, I think we have greater opportunities than ever to simplifying things. I believe all parts of our society are going through a significant change in the coming months even. And I think I'm very much looking forward to, to having that feeling of being efficient and applying AI to more efficient than we are today. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the next step of technology here. So if you want me to put that label to the topic of your choice would you would you like to call it efficiency or simplifying things it's up to you then i let it be what i just wrote when you start talking simplifying things yeah that's good that sounds on brand for you so thank you for sharing so much about uh, this passionate topic of simplifying things i I like it. I'm interested in it, but I'm not near as passionate as you. And that's why I love to hear a topic of your choice because listen to smart people talking about passionate things. Ah, that is, yeah, that is so interesting. Uh, And now we are actually moving on to an external question because in my uh, podcast, I don't want this just to be me with uh, hotshot socios like you. I also want to give a voice to the SaaS community out there from different people. And today, the question we have gotten is from Sophie Hedestad, and this is her question. Hey, Daniel, do you use any framework for your goals and objectives today? And how do you think you can optimize this even further? Yeah, I think the answer is to to do this simple. That's a really good question, but we don't use any framework uh, for our goals and objectives today. We just try to to make it as easy as possible. We have a few KPIs that we that we use as our goal and objectives, and we are actually more focused on how we should celebrate those goals and objectives than than we are in in because we think it's 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 an easy way to get everybody on board and it's an easy way to get a full scope of what we are doing because uh, our companies are our company are built from many people with different backgrounds. We have everything from marketing and sales people to development people, to product people, to to, econom- to auditors and accountants. So for us, it's, it must be understandable for everyone. And the main thing is growth as always. As a, in a scale of company, you should focus on the growth. And when, when everybody realized that that's the key to, to the most things we do, it's easy to, to get everybody on board. Sophie, thank you for your question. And Daniel, thank you for the input. We move on. It's time for leadership. And yeah. the first question here, it's, are you a good leader? Uh, I think as a leader, you're, you are never fully developed. You constantly learn from others and from the mistakes and the successes uh, that you, you made every day. But... But to, to, to give you an answer, I believe my leadership style is a good fit for leading a fast and innovative company like Wint. 
I like to think that I'm good at keeping the heart of the soul of the company intact, especially when going through massive changes as we are. Uh, and in this, I think self-leadership is key. I always encourage employees in taking risks and coming forward with, with new ideas. In my book, a good leader must also be a role model, a role model that you can look up to and more importantly, that you can relate to. Therefore, I think leading by example is, is very important. Uh, you need to show that you can cope with difficult challenges and difficult situations. You need to show that things are possible to do. You need to create that feeling that we can do it. In fact, you may need to create that environment where everybody thinks that anything is possible. And most of all, I think you should show that, that you are fully committed uh, and prepared to do what it takes to reach the goals you have set up. If, if you do that, I believe that uh, the people will follow you. But I'm, I would say I'm very, still very humble in my role and I know that I have a lot more to learn. And at the same time, I feel very fortunate to be in a position where I'm forced to, to develop my leadership all the time. And if we then take this to the edge of your powers as a leader, what would you say are your top two to three superpowers if we really, like you said earlier with the mistakes, etc., and go to market? Narrow it down. If you narrow your skills, your superpowers. I'm I'm driven. I'm passionate, and I would say I'm brave. Uh, and those three things you need to have them in order to to make people follow you and to to reach things and reach goals that seems impossible. If we take the word you just said and put it into context, from your perspective, what what is driven? Driven is when you uh, you never back down. You're just one of those person that that believes in the mission and just keep on going all the time. And if we talk about the other two ones, yeah. If if you're talking about passion, I think that that's something you can't fake. If you if you are passionate about something, that's that's in your veins. You 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 can't fake that one. So. In order to be a passionate leader, you have to believe in what you do. And brave then? Well, brave is when you when you dare to take the, the path that no one else is taking. When you dare to say no to the people that you usually don't say no to. And yes to the people that you usually don't say yes to as well. You need to be brave enough to change the 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 very infrastructure we live in you you need to be brave to to just go your own way thank you super powerful now when i got this follow on one layer deeper narrow input here then uh, i'm shifting the focus towards bad things worst things because everything isn't happy clappy as a leader it's it can be tough times what according to you is the worst things about being a leader and how do you manage and handle it? Well, uh, the worst thing I would say is when the people you lead are having problems or issues and you are not really in the position to help them. Then you just feel frustrated, sad and powerless. 
and it's the the absolute worst feeling and the way to cope and handle it is just to to be there even if you can't can't fix everything you you can be there for the for the people and and just hear them out but i would say the worst thing is when the people around you are having problems that you can't fix then your solution of that right now is just to take time and place and be there yeah exactly and then it's time for you to summarize what leadership means to you so if you have to summarize leadership from your point of view with one word what would that be well that's inspiration be be a leader that are that are a role model be a leader that's leading by example but the one word it's it's inspiration leadership is all about inspiration and we have now entered the roundup and this means that we only have three questions left and the first thing here which other two b2b socios do you think are interesting are doing great stuff with their companies and would like to listen to if i would interview them here in this podcast well we have one customer that's called sigma stocks they have just launched its b2b service and uh, you should talk to my Thai and Anna Strane there so i would be very interested in hearing their new take on b2b and i also uh, would like to hear i'm i'm curious about carbon cloud based here in Gothenburg thank you for the input and second last question now you're talking to yourself if you would give yourself when you were a younger ceo think five ten years ago top one to three things to think of that you now know that you didn't know what would you tell yourself i would tell myself to be more patient uh, to stay focused but to, to continue walk your own way then the very last question where will wind be in five years Five years is a very long time in the context of a scale-up, uh, but I definitely think we will have started an, an international journey and expanded to, to other countries. Technology is happening so fast right now, so with AI moving boundaries in, in so many ways, therefore it's, it's, I don't dare to predict exactly where we'll be in terms of technology, but I can say that the key wish, vision for Wint has always been to aim at developing a software service that in the end means that our customer doesn't need bookkeeping and administration in their mindset. We will in the future instead be a form of a data provider that enables companies to maximize both operational efficiency and to, to maximize their growth. And I can't tell exactly how we will achieve this, but I envision that our future customers will not use our service in the same way that they are currently do. The, the automation is in constant motion. Uh, we have new technologies available now and we'll have even more in the coming years. So all this will have a great impact on, on, on the Wint service. In conclusion, I, I, I see that Wint is perfectly positioned to adapt faster than our competitors in these matters. Therefore, I see Wint as the player to keep an eye on in the near future. 
And I see us as the, the biggest player in our industry within five years. And I wish you the best of luck with that. And now I'm quickly shifting the focus to you who has been listening. Two quick ones. Number one, tell a friend or a colleague to listen to Daniel in B2B SaaS if you like what you heard. And number two, press the subscription button. We have great guests coming here every week. And Daniel, a huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes together with me to help the community and me to keep on learning. Thank you. Thank you.